He is alive, and he is exactly who he said he was. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, come to this earth to save us from our sin and to glorify the Father. And we go on mission, speaking that message of the gospel today, and that's exactly what we're talking about today. We're going to be in the course over the next couple of weeks um, in a sermon series that I like to do around this time where we talk about mission and vision as we kind of head into the new fall season and talk about what is mission and what is our vision of a church. And today we are talking about mission from none other than where every church draws its mission, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And so at a missionary conference uh, years ago, there, the guest speaker was a gentleman named Everett Gill, and he was a 35-year veteran of missions in Europe. Especially at that time, you know, the contentious nature of Europe in the last century, a 35-year uh, veteran of missions in Europe. And as the host of the event, the MC of the event introduced uh, Dr. Gill, he introduced him as a foreign missionary to Europe. And Dr. Gill, not trying to cause trouble, but obviously wanted to clarify his thoughts on the matter and wanted to begin his, his sermon framing things exactly the way he wanted them to be. He said, there's only one problem I have with my introduction. He said, the only true foreign missionary was Jesus Christ himself because he came from heaven to earth. He said, folks, let me tell you, I am a missionary to Europe, but you just as much are a missionary here in the United States. I thought it was a wonderful way to begin his sermon on missions in the midst of this church conference was to tell, yes, I have committed my life to foreign, I've committed my life to missions in a foreign country, in a foreign land other than my birth, but I'm not truly a foreign missionary. The only true missionary who is truly foreign to this earth was Jesus Christ himself. But God has called me to be a missionary in Europe, but he's telling the crowd, He's called you just as much to be a missionary here in the United States. And what it does, it frames for us that every believer and every church, in fact, has the mission to go and make disciples. You know, one of the things we're going to be taking a look at here is this over the course of the next couple of weeks. We reintroduce this. We bring it back to mind throughout our year. But uh, one thing we do specifically around this time is talk about our, vi- our vision and, and what we call the vision frame here is that vision is framed by a number of things. First of all, mission. What are we doing? What are we doing? And we're going to talk about this again as we get further into the sermon, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. As we're going to talk about in the midst of this sermon, every church and every Christian has the basic, same basic mission to go and make disciples. But this is our unique way of stating that. This is our mission statement to state the same mission that every believer and every church throughout Christian history has, to go and make disciples. Also, we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, why are we doing it? What do we value? What are the things that we value? Then also measures. When are we successful? When do we know that we're successful in accomplishing the mission of God and carrying out his vision for our church? And then also strategy. How are we doing it? What are the things that we are doing to carry out that mission and carry out his vision for the church? But as we look about at mission, let's look at that familiar passage, the passage that all of our mission, the mission of any church should be built upon. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, these were those gathered, of course, as he was Uh, As he was resurrected and he was soon to ascend into heaven, all of his followers were gathered and he came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
He says, essentially, I'm giving you authority because authority has been given to me, and now I give it to you. What does he tell us to do then? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, make followers of all nations, followers of him, followers of Jesus Christ, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And what does he say? He says, you're out there doing it on your own. Good luck. I'm going to kind of give you a pat on the back and send you out. Good luck. You're on your own. No, he doesn't say that. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the thing that we have to understand as we look at this familiar passage, this wonderful passage of the Great Commission, the one and only mission. Listen to me. Write it down. The one and only mission for the Christian and the local church is to make disciples. That's it. That is the mission. The mission is not to support a building project, although one of those will be on the horizon for us. The mission is not to keep as much money in the bank as we can, although we know that God blesses a church, any church with money to do his work, to do missions. The, 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 the mission is not to try to have as happy of a fellowship as we can, although that will happen if we're living on mission. It's not any number of these things. It's not to grow a bigger church. It's not to count our numbers and see our numbers grow, although healthy churches often do that. None of those things are the mission. The mission is to go and make disciples. That is the mission throughout the history of the Christian church for every Christian in every single church. For the Christian in the local church is to make disciples, is to make disciples, is to make disciples, period. That's what it is. Lord God, as we come to you today, as we think about this mission, for many of us, we know that this mission, we know the familiarity of it. We know we are called to go and make disciples, but Lord, uh, so often we can have a mission drift. We can drift away from what you've called us to do, and in so doing, we, we suffer the consequences or we suffer the symptoms of that as a church and as an individual believer. Lord, and not walking in your power as a church and, Lord, uh, feeling the, the difficulty of a life that is not properly ordered by setting our mind on things above and allowing you to handle the things of earth. Lord, help us to not drift away from your mission any longer, but individually and as a church, Lord, may we always, again, be centered on it. And as soon as we sense we're drifting, may we bring it back to mind. And Lord, may we see you glorified in all, in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. The very first thing that we're going to see today is about the shortest point you will ever see, at least heading. It's two letters. It's go. Look at that. Go. I mean, what, a, what creativity, right, in, you know, in, in, in giving my headings for my points. What, a, what incredible creativity. But the very first thing that we simply see is that we are called to go. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And again, he's essentially saying, and I give that to you. You go in my authority. Therefore, he says in verse 19, go therefore. Go therefore. Let's simply stop there because this is important. This is really important. Listen to this. Look at it on the screen. Write it down. The impetus is on the church to go to the people as opposed to the people of the world coming to the church. Do you understand that? That is a huge difference. Now, yes, practically we understand that one of the great tools for reaching your neighbors or reaching your coworkers, whoever it might be, might be inviting them to church on a Sunday morning where they might hear the gospel. 
Yes, you absolutely, that's an important part of doing that. Sometimes there's something unique that God can do in the midst of a, of a situation just like this where their heart is open to the gospel. But we have to understand we're not just sitting back with arms crossed as a local church or any other church and saying, well, we just kind of hope they'll come to us, right? Or we do as much as we can to attract them and maybe they'll come to us. Now, understandably, visitors are going to come. And if you're a visitor today, we are so, so glad you are here. But for believers in the church, as as members of this church and as members of any local church and any Christian, we're called to go. We're called to be, just as that great missionary that I opened with said, we are called to, to be missionaries wherever God's called us. His mission field was Europe. Your mission field might be the place that you work. It is, in fact, the place that you work. You think about that job that you have, that you say, it is hard for me when my alarm goes off in the morning. It is hard for me to get out of bed. It is hard for me to go in and punch that clock. It is a grind each and every day. I can understand that. I really can. But you know, one of the greatest things that can happen is if you pray and you ask God to help you see truly that that is a mission field. And yes, it might be difficult and it might be an absolute grind and I don't want to minimize that at all, but would you pray that God would help you have it reinvigorate your purpose and a mission, the mission for that place of work as well. To help you understand and realize and remember, bring it to mind once again, that you are a missionary. God has called you there. There are people that you rub shoulders with each and every day that God has placed you there so you will share the gospel with them. We are called to go. We are called as we go to cross borders. Just as you might think of a missionary going to uh, a mission field in a foreign country, we understand that we might cross those borders. In the same way, we are called to cross those proverbial borders. Again, as we are praying and asking God to show us who we're to share the gospel with, who we're to witness to in our particular mission field, we got to understand that there are going to be some proverbial unseen borders that we have to cross. And we have to ask God to give us the courage and give us the wisdom to do that. Figure out, just as we talked about for a couple of years, as it was our primary focus and our our horizon vision of, of accomplishing the 500 breakthroughs. If you haven't been with us before, we wanted to have 500 breakthroughs of taking next steps with sharing the gospel with someone. And maybe that first step might be prayer. First step might be turning a, a, a general conversation. We only talked to this particular person about football. Now we're talking about something spiritual looking for those breakthroughs, ultimately to come to the goal of sharing the gospel with them. We're to pray and ask God, help me. What is that border I need to cross? What is that next step of a breakthrough that I need to take? But we're called to go. The impetus is not on the church. The impetus is on the church to go to the people, not for the people to come to us. So let us not miss in the mission that very first part of go therefore. Go therefore. But the secondly, we see go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, very simply, straightforward. Our second thing we we see there in that passage is to make disciples, to make disciples. Listen to this. It kind of dovetails very perfectly with our overall main point that we started with. But just to state it very simply, for a church to do anything other than to make disciples is to defy direct orders. We understand this principle, right, of a of a battlefield commander giving direct orders to his soldiers. This is your mission. You are not to question this mission. This is the mission. In the same way, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, 
the perfect Son of God. He always knows what's right, always does what's right, always calls us to do what's right. What is his mission that he's given us? Again, it's not to to build up numbers or it's not to build up this or build up that or build up the other thing. He says your mission is to go and make disciples. And if we're doing anything other than that as a church, we are defying direct orders. We're called to go and make disciples. What do we talk about when we're talking about disciples? We're talking about followers. As we'll get to the end of this message, again, we'll restate for you our specific mission statement. But one of those things is we see when we're going and making disciples, disciple means a follower. It means a learner. And what's really neat about this is we see that same language given by Jesus throughout Scripture, and that's, in fact, why we borrowed from from Jesus' own language when we talked about our own mission statement of making followers of Jesus. So what does it mean when Jesus says, follow me, follow me? And we're going to look at a few Scriptures here in just a moment. But when he's talking about following me, he's talking about surrendering one's life. It's not, okay, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of my time. But when he says, follow me, he says, you are surrendering your life to me. My life, or your life is now under my control. And you might say, oh, you know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, like, gosh, that's going to make, that makes me buck a little bit. I don't know about that. I don't like to be under anybody's control. What if you were to surrender your life and to give your life to the one who is perfect and pure, sinless, always does what's right, always does what's right for you, and always does what's good for you, even when it's difficult. The one who is perfect in all of his ways, the one who is always loving, does that change our mind? You see that we have, an, we have a problem with following or surrendering ourselves to any other person because, number one, it's just our own nature. We just kind of like to bow up against it, but also we intrinsically know that if we were to surrender our lives to anyone else in this room, whoever it might be, as good as that person might be, they're not perfect. They're not pure. They will not always have my best interest at heart. They might ask me to do something that is not good for me. They might ask me to do something that might hurt me, might be painful for me. But when we surrender and give our lives, when we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that he always, in all times, calls us to do what is right and what is good for us, even when it might be difficult. So when he talks about following me, he's talking about the surrendering of our life. He's also talking about counting the cost. Remember, he talks about counting the cost of following him, counting the cost of following Jesus. Again, it kind of goes exactly with what I just talked about, that when we count the cost, we have to understand that Jesus isn't just asking for a little bit of our time. He's not just asking to to sort of add us to, to our calendar and kind of squeeze him in when we can. We are ordering everything in our life after being a follower of Jesus. So he says, count the cost of following me. Count the cost of doing things my way. But here's the sort of underlying statement to that. Here's the sort of subtext of that. If we count the cost of following Jesus and doing it his way, that is where we experience peace and fulfillment and joy in life. Even in the midst of what he calls us to do sometimes, that can be difficult. So surrender your life, count the cost, and then very practically, what does it mean to live out that life, to live as him, to emulate his thoughts, his words, and his actions? Now, as we think about this, what does it mean to follow me? You can very closely see that this has application for the person in here that is uh, not a follower of Jesus Christ. They're not a Christian. They've never surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It has application for the brand new believer in the same way that we come to faith in him. We ask for forgiveness of our sin. We repent, turn away from our old way of life and follow him. It has application and for the believer through the entirety of their life. In the same way that we come to faith in Jesus, so we're to follow him. We are daily to surrender our life to him. We are to get up, put our feet on the ground as we roll out of bed, and we are to say, Jesus Christ, I am your servant today. I'm serving you, and I'm trusting you with my life. And daily again, I count the cost of what that means to follow you. I'm going to do things your way and not my way, because guess what? I'm trusting that you're right. I'm trusting that your way is going to be far better than doing it my way. And in so doing, I'm going to live my life today emulating your thoughts, your words, your actions. And we see this throughout Scripture. I love some of these passages here. Matthew 4.19, then Jesus said to them, again, those that were followers of him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, if you follow me, you're not just sort of uh, kind of turning in a, a membership to some sort of nebulous club somewhere and some sort of online membership and you don't think about it anymore until you see something, some sort of spam email come in your inbox two years later. You're like, oh yeah, I did sign up for that. No, that's not it at all. He says, when you're a follower of me, just as he said to his inner 12 there in the midst of this passage, it is the same call to us. He said, when you follow me, guess what? I am giving you an incredible mission. You are going to go out and you are going to fish for men. You are going to go in my name and you're going to take the gospel that others just like you might be saved. That is your mission, to rescue people. Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and he followed him. Matthew is a tax collector. One, again, as we talked about before, that were despised by the community of the day because they were taking from their own people, giving to Rome and skimming some off the top. He was one who was hated by the people. And Jesus called that one. So you think, oh, there's no way Jesus would call me into relationship with him. Absolutely he would. You say, okay, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but you know, I've just, I, I haven't really walked with him. How can he use me? He uses everybody, each and everybody, that he might receive the glory. And just as he said here to the tax collector, follow me. And what did the man do? He didn't debate it. He didn't say, hey, let me get back to you a while. Let me kind of figure things out. He stood up and he followed him. Matthew 16, 24, and then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, what did he say? Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. You know, Jesus himself wasn't necessarily uh, interested in growing big crowds, right? He wasn't lowering the bar of what it meant to follow him so that he might gain a bigger crowd. In fact, what's amazing when you read the Gospels oftentimes is when there would be a large crowd to start to follow Jesus, what would he do? He would say something really controversial, not just to do it, not just to get a rise out of people or to get a reaction out of people, but he wanted followers that were committed to him. He didn't want people that are just sort of loosely following him and that sort of thing. He, he wanted people that were truly committed. So what would he do? He would say something that he knew would divide the crowd. He, he would say something that he knew it was a line in the sand that would basically say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow me or not? Now, again, does that mean that uh, when Jesus sets that bar that there's nothing to gain from it? He's just sort of being unreasonable and unnecessary? No, what he knows is that, yes, it is a high cost of following him, and you must count that cost before you do. But guess what? There is no better decision in the life of a person than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity changes. 
eternity changes and your life here changes as well. You find that joy, that satisfaction, that fulfillment that you were meant to find. But sadly, we see in one of these stories, one of these familiar stories to many of us, the rich young ruler, where he, his heart was awakened. I mean, you couldn't think about anything else other than uh, or, or, or his mind was stirring, his heart was stirring. He was wrestling with who this Jesus was. You couldn't think about anything else than seeing that in him, and that's what makes it so sad. He wasn't one of the Pharisees that was trying to trip up Jesus. Something he's like, this is, I'm curious about this. There's something different about this man. And Jesus put his finger right upon where the man's uh, number one uh, place of his heart, his number one passion line was in his riches. Now, again, if we know from Scripture, it's not as though those that are wealthy cannot follow Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea was undoubtedly a wealthy man, but he was one that was willing to say, Jesus, you are my number one. You are my number one. This man was not. And Jesus said he knew what what captured his heart. He knew his place of passion. And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. And then what did he say? Come and follow me. He knew that this man's place, his, his passion lie with his own wealth. And what did he say? He's like, if you're, if you're not willing to give that up, you cannot follow me. We're called to be followers of Jesus Christ. Not only are we to count the cost on the front end before we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and become a Christian, but we are to count that cost daily. So we are called, again, from the believer's perspective, to go and to make disciples. Make disciples telling them and and calling them to follow Jesus just as we are following him each and every day. And what are we called to do as well? We are called to baptize them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Godhead. We're called to baptize them. Why is this important? Why is it important as we talk about uh, each week when we baptize Every time that we baptize someone, we say that this is a symbol of the change that has taken place in one's life. When one surrenders their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, they count the cost, they follow him, they surrender their life unto him, they repent and believe, as Jesus said, that person becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. They are reconciled unto God and they are born again. Why is it important to baptize them? Listen to this, write it down. Baptism encompasses the acts of vividly proclaiming the gospel and publicly declaring your allegiance to Jesus. It, we are, when we are being baptized, sometimes I'll say in my little lead-up to the lead-up speech to when I baptize someone, I say that they are proclaiming the gospel. Just as I'm proclaiming the gospel in this format of what we call preaching, the person that's being baptized, they too are proclaiming the gospel by their baptism. And oftentimes, guess what? that proclamation of the gospel is far more powerful than what I do in the pulpit. Seeing someone baptized, they are vividly proclaiming the gospel that Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again, proving he was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God who's come to save us from our sin. That gospel, they're proclaiming the gospel. You are proclaiming the gospel by your baptism and publicly declaring your allegiance to Jesus. You're saying, I'm with Jesus. I have counted the cost of following him. I have repented and believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and I don't flippantly follow him. I have counted the cost, and I am following Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. 
when we do that, it's a glorious reenactment of not only Jesus Christ dying for our sins and being raised again, but it's a glorious reenactment of our own death to sin and a burial of that old man, that old nature. We talk about that too. You're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new way of life. And that is what it is. We are, we are picturing, we are imaging, we are vividly proclaiming that change, not only what Jesus Christ did for us, not only the gospel, but that change in our lives, that we have been gloriously changed. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4, we are called to not only go to make disciples, to baptize them, and what are we called to do? To teach them as well. Teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here's the, here's the thing we have to understand about that. We must teach one another the full truth of Scripture that we might draw closer to Jesus and be fully equipped for the mission. We must teach one another the full truth of Scripture that we might draw closer to Jesus and be fully equipped for the mission. We have to teach one another to edify the body. To edify the body. Any of you that have done any sort of exercise at all, it's an important part of exercise to eat right as well. Because if you're not eating correctly, you're not going to build muscle the way that you should. So we have to eat correctly. We have to edify the body. And that's what we do when we teach. We strengthen this body of Christ by teaching the truths of Scripture. Because we're not just teaching some sort of uh, feel-good messages that we could see on a talk show or some sort of uh, you know, sort of a collection of memes that we see on social media. We are teaching eternal truth. And guess what? It is just as true today in 2019 as it was in the first century. Just as true. Because here's what it is. It is from the eternal God about his creation, mankind. We must teach one another the full truth of Scripture that we might draw closer to Jesus and be fully equipped for the message. You notice in there we say the full message. We've even got to teach the unpopular things. Do you understand that? And guess what? There has never been a time in the history of the Christian church for 2,000 years where there has not been some part of the message of the gospel and the message of Scripture that has not been unpopular. There's, there's never been a time. There's always something that's unpopular. You think about the times in which we live in today to think about how some of the teachings of, of Christ, teaching of the Scripture, run afoul of culture. Think about the city of Corinth in which Paul was writing some of these things in the first century. You think about some of the, the crazy stuff we see in our day. He was seeing it in the same way in the city of Corinth in the first century. And trust me, as you look again, you look just through those two books that Paul was writing, First and Second Corinthians, you just look at some of that and see how he was running afoul of culture as well. But we have to fully teach even the unpopular truths, all things. Because guess what? We need to know how to engage our culture. We were not called to just kind of bunker down as Christians. We were, not called, we were called to be in the world, but not of the world. Remember Jesus, uh, the night before his death in John chapter 17, said he prayed, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That you protect them from the evil one. Sometimes we feel like, 
God, I don't know why you would use me. Why was this your plan to use me and to use us as flawed human beings? Even though many of us have been saved by Jesus Christ and we've been made new and born again, we see our flaws, we understand our flaws. Why in the world would you use us? And sometimes we wonder that. But God in his infinite wisdom sought that he might use us as taking the gospel, that treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, us, It's not the the clay, it's not the vessel that shines through, it is the treasure that he might receive the glory. And so we have to understand as we go and engage the culture, we have to know why. We have to know what what we're engaging with and how we can engage them. Because we're not called to just sort of bunker down. We're called to go to the culture. And yes, at different times and different societies, the openness to the message of the gospel and the message of the truth might be the, 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 the society might be a little more open or might be a little more closed, but we have to understand that's just our calling for the day. That is what he has called us to. And yes, in certain circles, there might be a little more hostility now in 2019 than there have been at other times to the message of the gospel and the full truth of scripture. But guess what? They, the, the society has never been in more need of the gospel than they do now. Those very people that might be hostile to the truths of Scripture, we have to see them with God's eyes. We have to see them with the same empathy that, that, that Jesus sees them. We have to see them as Jesus did in Matthew chapter 9 where he was looking over the crowd and it said he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Some The, the people of our society, many people of our society are so, uh, are, are so hostile at times to the message of the gospel and truth that is, doesn't jive with what they think because they're searching for anything to give them meaning. They're searching. They, they feel that purposelessness in their life. They feel that pain, that emptiness in their life, and they're latching onto anything that thinks it might give them direction. And so we must have that same sort of love, that empathy, and that willingness, as difficult as it may be, to speak the full truth of Scripture. We must do it also for ourselves so that we're fortified against apostasy. We might be fortified against walking away from the faith. Some of us recently, maybe you've seen some of these Christian leaders, of a handful of Christian leaders that within the last year probably have walked away from the faith. One is a, a gentleman named Joshua Harris. Uh, who wrote the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book. He said he's now walked away from the faith over several steps. Read it. Don't have time for you to kind of give the full delineation of it here. But there was also a, a really neat article that the lead singer of, of all things, a band called Skillet, Christian band named Skillet. Some of you are familiar with him and familiar with that band. He wrote a wonderful article talking about this and saying that one of the reasons this happens is because we're not grounded in the truth of Scripture. And we have to be grounded in the truth of Scripture, and we have to equip our people for understanding that even though times around us may change, that this eternal truth does not change. We have to be fortified in the midst of a culture that is ever-changing, not just so that we can bunker down, not just so we can lob salvos and say, hey, what about this? Did you think about this? No, so that we can go to our culture and engage people that are in desperate need of anything in their life. And we know what that is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to teach them. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And guess what we see here? We go with Jesus. Again, does Jesus tell us, hey, good luck, have fun. I've kind of given you all that I can. You're on your own. I'll, uh, I'll check in on you every once in a while, but, but good luck to you. 
No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a story told of a mailman. One time he was having a conversation with a pastor friend of his, and the pastor said, you ever get scared as you're out there walking, you know, kind of going house to house and and taking the piece of mail, you're afraid something's going to happen to you? And it may be a little bit misguided. Maybe he's a little optimistic about this, but nonetheless, his answer was this. No, I'm not scared at all because the full authority of the American federal government is behind me. Even if I'm delivering just one simple postcard, the full authority of the United States government is behind me. In, in protecting me in delivering that mail. Now, again, it might be a little misguided. I don't know how much that's going to help you if something actually does happen on the fly. But understand, I think he, he knew exactly what he was talking about. But understand exactly how it relates here as well. We don't go on our own. We go with the full power and authority of none other than the king of glory. We go in his behalf. We go in his name. Here's the thing. When we think about going in Jesus going in the name of Jesus and going with Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Don't be cavalier about going in your own power, but listen to this. Do not neglect the fact that you're going in his. You know, we can't be cavalier about the fact that, hey, you know, I've got this. I'm just kind of going out. I'm just going on mission on my own. I think for most of us, that's not the problem at all. Probably 10 to 1, it's the fact that we forget and we neglect the fact that we're not going in our own power. We're not going in our own aptitude. We're not going in our own eloquence. We're not going in our own ability to win an argument. But we are going in the power of Jesus Christ. We are called to be, again, those earthen vessels. We are called to be the instrument uh, of delivery. But what we are delivering, that's where the magic is. It is the magic, the wonder of the gospel. We go, we take that treasure, not in ourselves, but we go in the full power of Jesus Christ. So we have to remember that he is with us always. So we kind of tie all of this together. We think about today when we're thinking about our mission, our mission. And we mentioned it just a moment ago, but what is our mission? Write it down again. I think it's always good for us to remember this this time of year. We take Jesus's own own, uh, uh, words here as well. And we draw our own mission statement from this, from the same mission given to every Christian, every church throughout Christian history. And it's this leading people to follow Jesus, his very language, and what is the outcome of teaching someone all the things that Jesus has commanded them to do, and they actually do it. What is the outcome? We live like Jesus. Will we do it perfectly? Of course not. Of course not. But if someone is a true follower of Jesus Christ, they are a Christian. They have been born again. God says that he is conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. He is conforming them. Yes, there are times in our lives where, again, we might not walk up that day, put our feet on the ground and say, I'm a servant of yours, Jesus Christ. We wake up that day, we put our feet on the ground, and we tell ourselves, I'm in control today. Now, we don't do that, really, but that's how we live, right? So we might, on a particular day, put our feet on the ground. We take control of our lives. Guess what? We start to do that. We might have a dip in our growth. We might not look like Jesus that day. We won't, in fact. We won't emulate his thoughts, his actions, his words. But over the course of our lives, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, guess what? Jesus, God himself, is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. And what will happen? Will we live like Jesus perfectly? No. But we will more and more begin to emulate him. We will image him in our world. So we are leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus.
So you say, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? It's just kind of in my daily life. Well, here's the first thing we got to understand. Have you ever heard maybe someone say, maybe someone's just bold enough to say, yeah, I don't want to, I, I don't know about being a Christian. That seems kind of boring. Or maybe even someone who is a supposed believer in Jesus Christ, they're kind of living as though the Christian life is boring. You know, kind of lose all your fun, right, when you become a Christian. Here, let me, let me tell you something. Trust me, first century Christians were not living a boring life. I promise you that. They were out in the front lines of their world sharing the gospel, which they know had changed their life radically. This one, Jesus Christ, had completely changed their life, and they're out there on the front lines sharing the good news, the gospel, and guess what? They are facing persecution all the time. And as they're facing it, they aren't turning away. Some did, of course, but many, many, many were faithful to Jesus Christ, and and they knew he had so radically changed their life, and they were living with such joy and fulfillment and contentment and purpose and knowing that this is truth that they're willing to do it in the midst of that persecution. They were not living a boring life. But guess what happens? When we have mission drift, when we drift away from the mission of going and making disciples, when we drift away as a believer individually or as a church, we open the door for all sorts of stuff to kind of of elbow its way in and take over what is the supposed mission of our lives in a church. This is how we get churches that just turn into Christian social clubs, right? We get churches that don't look much different than some sort of just societal, you know, just some sort of general social club out there in our society. And you might go to that on Thursday and then come here on Sunday and say outside of singing some songs, and sometimes even in those social clubs they sing songs, so maybe outside of the difference of what's said there and maybe the the guy has given a speech there as opposed to a sermon here, but sometimes it doesn't look much different. Because if we drift away from what our mission is to be, all sorts of things are going to start to fill the void. We have to focus and not drift away from what our mission is to be. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, if we're out there, if we're really focused on going and being out there, again, we might not say this verbally, but we live by it. We might say, well, you know, I'm I'm afraid if we focus on this, then our fellowship's going to be weakened, right? I really like our fellowship that we have. And guess what? I do too. And guess what? That is not something bad to hope for, for fellowship or community, wonderful, strong community. But but that is not going to be damaged by turning our focus out there and being on mission. I love this, uh, this quote here. I've, I've uh, given this to you before by Matt Carter. He's a pastor down in Texas. And, and he uses this word community like I'm using fellowship here. Listen to what he says. He says, if you aim for community or fellowship, you get neither community nor mission. But if you aim for mission, you get both and you get it every time. Because there is no stronger fellowship There is no stronger community in a local church than when that church is on mission and we are out there reaching the community for Christ. If you aim for community, get neither community nor mission. If you aim for mission, you get both. You might say, too, in your moment of honesty, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think it in your heart of hearts. Pastor, that all sounds good. I agree with that. But if I'm honest with you, I'm consumed by too much real life stuff. There's too much real-life stuff in the way in my life. First of all, we have to realize this is real life. This is life and death. This is more real than anything real that we see here because we are talking about eternity. We are talking about the eternity of your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, even your family. 
And listen to this, though. If you want to think about it, even in terms you want to, that's what our focus should be, on the glory of God, and it should be on the focus of people. But you do want to think about, okay, maybe you want to say, okay, what, what do I gain? <laughs> you know, that's not my motivation. But you might be thinking that question. You want to know, first of all, our focus should always primarily, first and foremost, always be on the glory of God. But if you want to think about what would you gain from it too, listen to this. Your life will never be fully rewarding, joyful, or purposeful without you carrying out the mission of God. It will never be what it should be. Your life will never be fully rewarding, joyful, or purposeful without you carrying out God's mission. You know why? Because he's created you for that purpose. He's created you to glorify him. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the mission you've been given. You know what he tells us to? You say, well, gosh, again, I'm I'm solely focused on that. How's all this other stuff going to take care of itself? How is my schedule and my family and my my finances and my this and my that, how is all that stuff going to take care of itself? Guess what? God anticipated that question. You know what he says? Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this is, again, what does this mean for me? What do I do today as I walk out of this place? I tell you what the most important thing that you can do is pray for an opportunity. Pray for an opportunity. We've given uh, training before on how to actually share your faith, and if you'd like a refresher course on that, absolutely, you can come and talk to me, and I will be more than happy to sit down and walk with you through some stuff and give you some resources again, and those things will come around uh, again, and we bring those around on a regular basis. But you know what? The first thing that you need to do is not the least you can do. It is the most you can do. You can pray. Pray, first of all, that God will open the hearts of the people around you. Pray. Pray also for opportunities. Pray that he will give you an opportunity. I've told you this story before. When I worked in a plumbing company in college, I was praying that God would give me an opportunity to, to speak the gospel to a guy named Chris. Dense, dull mason took me about two to three days before I realized what God was doing. He, I was in Bible college at the time, and he said, hey, fish stick. They call me fish stick because they'd send me out in the rain. I was the low man on the totem pole. They'd send me out in the rain in the Gordon's fish stick man slicker when it was raining to work the forklift. They call me fish stick, right? So they said, fish stick. He said, what are you learning at that Bible college? And I'd kind of tell him what I'd learned in the Bible college. He asked me the second day, hey, fish stick, what are you learning at that Bible college? And I would tell him a little more of what I was learning. And finally, it dawned on me. You could see God just saying, wise up. This is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. Talk with him about the gospel. This is your door. This is your foot in the door. Pray for open hearts. Pray that God would give you an opportunity and pray for courage. Pray for courage. And folks, remember that you don't go in your own power. You go in the power of Jesus Christ. You are the earthen vessel. You take the treasure. It is not based upon your eloquence or your ability to argue a point. It is based upon your faithfulness to go and plant the seed. God waters it. God makes it grow. Once again, folks, the one and only for the church is to make disciples. We go not in our own power. We go in the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again, help us to remember that, that we go not in our own power. We go in yours. May that be the point of our courage. I think that that issue of courage right there is, is probably the number one reason, along with, a, along with busyness in our life, along with lack of empathy in our life because of focused on our own circumstances. I think that is the reason 
why we often don't share, why we often don't make breakthroughs, why we often don't take steps. So Lord, give us courage that we need. Help us to just do the simple things to start with, opening up spiritual conversations, praying for that person, praying with that person even. And Lord, asking you to help us give, give us opportunities for the next breakthrough and the next breakthrough and the next breakthrough after that. Till we pray that in your sovereignty, you might bring them unto faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to remember again that we don't go in our own power, but we go in your power, your power. We go not on our own, but we go in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.